Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode here with MANA Ministry on our ongoing series on mental health truth prescriptions. My name is Dr. Katie Elson. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist, and joining me is my co-host. Hi, everyone. My name is Christelle Olasaran, and I am a licensed marriage and family therapist. We're so glad that you joined us again for another episode. As always, a quick disclaimer that the purpose of this series is to provide spiritual guidance. It's not to substitute any mental health treatment. Yes. However, if you are in a crisis or any emergency, please contact your emergency line or 911 immediately. Now, before we jump in today's episode, Chriselle, we want to do a quick review of our last episode. Now, to give our viewers a hint, it was about the time of Thanksgiving. So, Chriselle, what was our, our episode about, our prior episode? Just quickly review um, our episode called Thankful. Well, Katie, I am so full from Thanksgiving, not because of the food that I ate, <laughs> but because of the gratitude in my heart. And I can really say that with all sincerity. And I pray that that's also been your experience. Our whole episode was about the importance and the significance of taking time in your life to be mindful of the things that you're grateful for, things that you're thankful for, and to fill your life with all of those blessings. Yeah, so we talked about what is gratitude, we talked about the benefits of gratitude, and then how to cultivate gratitude. And I don't know about for you, Chriselle, but it was, although I've talked a lot about gratitude, even with my clients, it just encouraged me, especially looking at the research on gratitude of how much it's needed constantly in our day-to-day lives for our overall well-being. Yeah. And so a great episode. Yes, yes, agreed. And so we wanted to leave you all with, of course, an application, a truth prescription, so that you could take the benefits and implement them into your own life. And so, Chriselle, what was the truth prescription from that episode? So you'll see here on your screen, there were three components to them. Number one, to acknowledge at least list amount of three things a day that you are grateful for. Secondly, working upon recognizing, identifying, and reflecting on both the source of your blessings, as well as the source's intentions. And lastly, appreciation, right? Being able to express your gratitude to the source. Yes. And so again, the three components of gratitude, acknowledge, recognize, and appreciate. All right. Now, Chriselle, we have so much to cover. And you and I both, we struggle with time management in the sense of we just love to talk about mental health and there's just so much to talk about it and especially especially for today's episode and so without any further ado let's have a word of prayer and then we'll introduce today's episode Crystal, do you mind praying for us not at all let's bow our heads in prayer dear god in heaven lord we just want to thank you so much for being a god who has sent us so many blessings and a reason for to be grateful lord and we know that in spite of all of these blessings there's still moments where we may feel that something is missing. And so I do pray at this moment that your presence be known and that you reveal the truth to us regarding the next topic that we're about to dive into. Thank you for always being there for us. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. And even in your prayer, Chriselle, you're already starting to allude to our topic today. And that is known when alone. And I just want to encourage our viewers for a moment to really take a look at the image on the screen, known when alone. You see an individual who's kind of in the depths of a pit and then another individual coming down to be with this individual who is alone. Crystal, what's our topic for today? Our topic is loneliness. I mean, we are currently in the season of festivity. And I know for myself in regards to my patients, the word I'm alone or loneliness is very prevalent. And, um, and so we thought that it would be relevant to talk about loneliness in context to the time that we are currently celebrating. Yeah. So loneliness in regards to just our experience as human beings, loneliness in regards to the holidays and Christmas coming up and the new year. Um, but also in the pandemic that we're still living in. Yes. I mean, that's probably where loneliness 
for the first time in the mass population has been experienced. And so I think it would be extremely relevant to each and every one of us. Yes, and we're still in the subcategory of emotions, right? And so we really want to talk about the experience, the emotions, the feelings that we have regarding loneliness. Now, why don't we just start off with what is loneliness? Um, or maybe better said, what is, what is it not? Yes, and so I think oftentimes we may think loneliness is just a matter of feeling lonely, because hence, that's what we're talking about, right? But actually research shows that loneliness is a state of mind. Can you tell us a little bit about what does that mean, the state of mind? Yeah, so it's, it's not just a, a feeling that comes and goes, it's the way that we think, the way that we perceive both ourselves, how we perceive others, um, that results maybe in a feeling, um, but it's really kind of a more comprehensive approach. Um, so it says here, and this is from a reach researcher, um, he's one of the most leading researchers on loneliness, uh, Professor John Cacopo, I don't know how to say his name, Cacopo, I think. An Italian researcher. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, he says, you know, because loneliness is a state of mind, being physically alone is not a necessary nor a sufficient condition to experience loneliness. So many of us think that, oh, if I'm physically alone, right, that means that I'm lonely. So, but no, because it's a state of mind. One can experience, he continues to say, a lonely state of mind while being with people at work, at home, or even in a marriage. And I can attest to that myself. I could attest to that in regards to my clients and their experience. And sometimes even people express feeling even lonelier when they are with people. Mm -hmm. That is exactly true. I know, Katie, that when I was teaching suicide prevention, oftentimes the teachers would think, oh, it's the child that is completely alone that we have to watch for. And that is not true. You could have a child who's involved in the sports team, a child who has many friends that could still feel lonely. Yeah, very good point, Chriselle. And we'll talk about that later on when we talk about loneliness and suicide. Now, let's talk a little bit about how do we then identify loneliness? If it's not when you're physically alone, what are perhaps symptoms or um, indicators or flags that I might be experiencing loneliness? So what we're about to share isn't necessary to say that this equates to loneliness. Um, because these can also be associated with any other symptoms in regards to mental health. But these are common symptoms that are experienced when someone feels lonely, such as fatigue, just not having the energy um, to get up and to get things done, having anxiety, having tension in your body, procrastination, feeling less confident as an individual to go ahead and make decisions in your life, um, having less patience with your family members, you're feeling quite irritated for things that normally you may not be feeling. What else, Katie, would you add on to that? Feeling empty. That's a very common one, feeling empty. And, and that can be whether in the presence of others or even um, with isolation. Now, one thing I'll just highlight is a lot of these are in combination with one another, right? So it's isolation alone doesn't determine loneliness. But if you put together isolation, then the lack of self-confidence and the feeling empty and so forth. And you mentioned this before, the anhedonia, right? The not having, not just a lack of motivation, but really the lack of interest in doing the things that you once enjoyed. Um, you could also have very physical symptoms of headaches. Uh, you mentioned muscle tension, Curcell, including tight shoulders, a feeling like you have a knot in your stomach. Um, as well as then that can lead to certain unhealthy behaviors, some of which we've talked about in prior episodes of trying to self-medicate, trying to fill that emptiness or to suppress that feeling of loneliness through food is a very common one. Um, alcohol, drugs, and really any, any sort of self-medication. Yes, I mean, even shopping, especially in the season that we're in right now, can make a lot of people feel as though they're not lonely. I'm buying gifts for others. I'm not lonely, right? Um, but I think it's important to notice that you may not be aware of the psychological symptoms, but sometimes we're aware of the physical symptoms first. And so pay attention to those physical symptoms, and then hopefully that will increase your awareness of the psychological symptoms as well. 
Yes, very good point, Grisel, about um, the shopping. And just to kind of stay there for a moment in regards to the holiday season, I would say food and shopping are probably the top two self-medications because it's encouraged. It's encouraged by the culture at large. I was helping out running a group therapy the past week, and several people were mentioning of their sadness to see that the joy and the true meaning of holidays have been basically destroyed by a very commercialized and superficial type of holidays, right? So emphasizing, yes, yes, buy more, buy more, not just because you get the high from shopping, but also, oh, I need this for other people. And even, you know, I've been, I've felt the the pressure of buying things without meaning, right? And that can actually, it's kind of a, a, a nasty cycle because maybe you shop because you're feeling lonely, but then the more that you shop in a superficial sense, like shopping is not bad, you can, yeah, you can find and express a lot of love and joy through gift giving, but if you're doing it just to self-medicate, then that actually increases the feelings of emptiness and then feelings of loneliness as well. Same thing applies to food. We're in a season that's encouraging you to eat a lot of fat, sugar, and salt, right? The yeah. food that we naturally crave when we're not doing well mentally, but then we know that we kind of have crashes afterwards that then continue that cycle of self-medication. So if you notice yourself struggling with any of these symptoms, um, some of you might recognize, oh, they're very similar to depression or anxiety, which loneliness does have a similar feeling to that. Um, but we'll talk a little bit later of what differentiates it is really the thoughts behind those feelings. So depression, anxiety, loneliness, and others can have a similar feel to it, um, but it's really the thoughts that are driving those symptoms. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so the question then that I think is, is begged at this point is just how prevalent is loneliness in our generation today? So there was research that Kate, you put here that I think is interesting um, that currently the younger generation has been found to be more lonely than older generations. And I say that it's interesting because oftentimes people, they mention something of the sort, oh, you know, they're old and lonely. But that's not really the case. And so I've also heard individuals say, well, you know, we have social media. There's so many ways to connect. How is it then that it's possible that the younger generation is more lonely than the older generation? What would you say, Katie, in terms of that comment? Well, I will just say quickly that um, the assumption that older individuals are lonelier um, is not a, an assumption um, without evidence. If you look at older research, it is primarily um, seeing higher prevalence rates among older generations. And a lot of the efforts were focused on those populations. So for example, if you think about um, older individuals might be placed in a home, a nursing facility, or a, in other contexts, which can increase the sense of loneliness, right? They're, maybe they're no longer with their family or they've, um, they've retired from a job so they don't have a, a, a strong community through their work. And you know, they're no longer in school and other environments that help foster community. And so, yes, prior research showed that there were high rates of loneliness. But that's why going back to your question, Chriselle, it's so interesting to see the flip which tells us there's something that is really something, there's a big factor here that changed that trajectory, that changed that prevalence rate. And one of the big ones we know is the invention of technology, but more specifically the internet, which more specifically social media. Now um, there's, if you Google and then I could have maybe put it on the, the screen there and maybe I can find it and, and do so. But if there's a graph that shows, let me actually, um, let me actually share my screen and I'll just show the graph that shows one of the biggest factors that contributed it. Now, Chris, as I'm pulling this up, can you mention a little bit about which generations right now and what are the specific um, details of the stats for those generations? Yes, yeah, so it says here nearly eight in 10 Gen Zers, terming you're referring to that generation, 79% consider themselves lonely, whereas seven in 10 millennials, which is 71%, are lonely versus half of boomers. 
the boomers are the previous generation, not the current, right? Mm-hmm. And so we see that that's, that's pretty staggering. I mean, statistics. Um, I don't know if you want me to continue because there's more here regarding whether it, male or females also tend to be, have been found more lonely versus the other. Yes, before we tr- continue on, um, Crystal, that that's really big. If you think about eight and 10 or seven and 10, that is a large, that's the vast majority. Wow. Now here, as I mentioned, um, as, I, as I was alluding to, here's the graph that shows, um, you know, on the bottom here, we have the different years, 1991 to 2015. So it's, a, it's not a most recent and updated graph. Um, and then you see the percentages here. Um, but what you notice is, so the black or dark gray line represents them saying that they often feel left out. And then the blue say that they feel often feel lonely. Okay. And this was for eighth, 10th and 12th graders. Now, what do we notice here, Crystal? So it's kind of, there was a downward trend, right? Um, somewhat here, 1991, 1995, and then it kind of picks up a little bit. Then it's kind of stable, um, picks up again, but then there's this dramatic spike, right? And then goes up. So, and just as a reminder, because I, I think the way that I was um, wording it here, the higher the percentage, the more lonely they feel. So that's why when we see the iPhone released, there's a dramatic increase in loneliness and feeling left out. Wow. So we see that there are correlations with loneliness and iPhone as well as social media. And this is a population at a time in their life where they're at school, they are around others of their age, their peers, yet at that same time, there are significant reports of feeling lonely and left out. Yeah. So it's almost, you would expect otherwise, right? Again, you would expect older adults who circumstances, you would say, oh, they would be lonelier. But even younger individuals being in school, being connected, and yet they're feeling lonelier and lonelier all the time. And again, we're not here to paint social media kind of as a as something bad. You can connect um, through social media, but it's the cons of social media outweigh the pros often when it comes to having a true connection. It's a superficial connection that leads to higher feelings of deprivation. I, I would also add on that social media, from what it appears, what it has done, is it convinced many of us that we are connecting. And so on the other aspects of connection that were done prior to social media, we're not really engaging in those anymore because our minds think that we are connecting. Oh, I know them. I saw their post, their their picture. I know what they're up to. Whereas before we would ask them, hey, how are you? How are you doing? You know? Yes. It's sad, but that is the reality of the world we live in today. That's an excellent point. It reminds me of, you know, when it comes to diet, it's not just that you're eating unhealthy food. It's that that unhealthy food is replacing healthy food. And that's the same thing as you're mentioning. It's not just about social media. It's that that social media often replaces the healthy connection that our body naturally, our bodies and brains naturally crave and naturally need. And so I I just want to say that and kind of emphasize the point you just made yourself because some people are, are watching this and they're like, oh, social media. No, no, no. If you continue Katie, on- they're telling us you are on social media. <laughs> technically, yeah. Well, yeah. So <laughs> the idea is it's not, we're not saying don't be on social media, but if you do choose to be on social media, make sure that you're taking effortful steps to build and maintain true, meaningful connections. And we'll talk more about the steps to to take to address loneliness. Um, Now, a couple more statistics um, that since 2018, there's been about a 13% rise in loneliness. And so we see that the trend is getting worse and worse for loneliness. Now, then Crisol, COVID hit and COVID 
contributed to even more loneliness. So since 2018, that's pre-pandemic. And now in 2020, and they haven't done any research since, so it could be even higher. higher 36% of Americans say they felt more lonely than usual. And that makes sense, right? If the physical distancing and, and then we've had so many variants that has created kind of this yo-yo effect, right? Of, okay, maybe I go and engage, but then um, I'm fearful. And so I retreat again and, right, there's just confusion regarding how do we connect um, during this time? And not just, I'd say, physical distancing, but the impact of masks, right? Crystal, what are other things that you've noticed, whether for yourself or for your clients that have contributed to the sense of loneliness during the pandemic? Um, they're just also where it comes in. It's not too controversial, but I've noticed that even when it's vaccinated versus not vaccinated, your views regarding conspiracy theories or whatever it may be, um, has also tended to kind of put people against each other. Mm-hmm. And having that state of mind, I'm lonely, no one understands me. Um, people think I'm crazy or whatever it may be that they're starting to feel the experience of loneliness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's, it's something that's getting worse and worse. And what's, what's an example, Chriselle, that shows that loneliness is becoming, they call it actually a pandemic of loneliness. What, what's something that some countries have done that shows, that shows us that's proof that it's getting really bad? Well, they've created ministers of loneliness. So the countries that participate in this is the UK, Japan, and then, and then there are other countries as well. Um, but they essentially created ambassadors to address loneliness. And that leads to our next um, kind of subtopic of what are the risks? What are the health consequences of loneliness? Because these countries started noticing it's not just a feeling. It's something that impacts our physical health, our social health, our brain health. And to a degree, the the stats and the information we're going to share next is going to really be astounding. They're aware of this. And that's why they said, okay, we need a position, a minister of loneliness to really address this for the individual level and the collective level. So, Crystal, what are some risks or kind of... uh, consequences of loneliness. Let's first kind of look at physical consequences because often we think about the psychological or the social, but what what happens to us physically when we are lonely? Well, just in regards to your overall life increases your risk of death by 26%. Wow. I don't know if that's astounding to you. It is to me. Um, I think that just illustrates the point of the fact that we were designed to connect and when we don't, there are consequences. Crystal, you said we are designed to connect. That reminds me of in Genesis chapter two, where in Genesis one, we see God is creating the earth, right? He mm-hmm. creates you know, the firmament and then he fills it. He creates human beings, right? We see this whole creation process. He creates Adam and he says something very important. Now, with all the creation, he says, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's very good. But there's one thing he says that's not good. And that's kind of as readers of the Bible, as scholars of the Bible, as as people reading the Bible, you'd be like, huh, everything's been good so far. God made something that was not good. What's going on there? Do you remember what was not good in the creation story? The man should not live alone. Yes, that man, human beings we're not meant to be alone. So all that we're going to share next, and you already mentioned one component of an increased risk of death is really what God said in the very beginning. It's not good to be lonely. And we see the consequences of that. So 26% increased risk of death. What else, Crystal? This also was astounding to me that uh, according to a study done in 2010, loneliness is worse than obesity. Hmm. And we know obesity can lead you to death. Mm-hmm. So the fact that that is the case is astounding as well. Along with that, living alone, poor social connections are as bad for your health as smoking 15, not just one, 15 cigarettes per day. That's almost a pack of cigarettes a day. 
Wow. Wow. Mm-hmm. You maybe should have started our episode with that. I know. Shocker, huh? Yes. <laughs> Do you know that there's something that you could be doing that mm-hmm. increases your risk of death and is worse than smoking 15 cigarettes a day? Loneliness. Wow. Yeah. I think also, Katie, one very astounding one was the connection and the study between loneliness and cancer. Um, there, if you're interested in that, research it. There's not much that we can share in regards to that, but that is a connection that they found. And I think that was pretty astounding. Okay. And again, we could go through a lot of different risk factors of increased heart disease, high blood pressure, even increased risk of dementia by 50%. Wow. So overall, it could lead to a lot of physical health problems. Now, we won't spend too much time on this, but what are some psychological effects of loneliness? Well, depression, anxiety, which we've named uh, suicide. Um, I think just to kind of think about how that can impact you overall as a person, psychologically, it could affect the way that you perform at work. You can start missing days at work, your lower productivity at work. And your work could be whether that is your physical work or your work at home as well, um, lower quality of your work, and then higher risk of turnover as well. Yes. And that's not so it's hard to focus when you have depression. It's hard to function when you have anxiety. Um, so it all kind of plays together. Yes. And that, that's not something that you're just mentioning. Research shows that the more lonely that you feel, you have more missed days at work, lower productivity, lower quality and higher risk of turnover, right? So just as an example, in an average month, those who describe feeling lonely report that they think about quitting their job more than twice as often as those who are non-lonely workers. Mm-hmm. Now, you mentioned briefly before, Grisal, suicide. Mm-hmm. How is loneliness linked to suicide? Well, it says here that it's a significant predictor So oftentimes when those who have that state of mind that I'm all alone, no one cares about me, there's no hope in the world, it can lead them to have thoughts of death and of ending their life. Mm -hmm. Now, it's a predictor of, uh, you know, suicide ideation, um, but Mm -hmm. also suicide um, behavior, including parasuicide, which is often referred to uh, self-harm behavior. So no intent to take your life, but a lot of self-harm, whether, whether cutting, head banging, skin picking, fill in the blank, mostly uh, self-harm through cutting. Um, so we see that there's an increase in those behaviors due to the feeling of loneliness. And I don't think that that's a surprise for anyone. Now, depression is often a mediator. So loneliness can contribute to depression and depression to these behaviors, but you may not suffer from depression. And I think this is important because some people are like, oh, I don't have depression. But loneliness can be so strong of a a factor that even loneliness alone can increase your likelihood of having more suicidal thoughts. And we'll have a future episode most likely on suicide alone. Um, But just it's important to recognize um, that loneliness can contribute to also suicide. Now, This next part, Chriselle, you and I could probably talk about for a long time. It's fascinating. What are some impact, um, some effects of loneliness on the brain? It shrink your brain. So loneliness can shrink your brain. Is that what you said, Chriselle? (laughs) Yeah. No, um, it's not that they they saw, you know, human beings and their brains were shrinking, but there was a study in regards to mice. And so mice at the age of four months, they were put in two groups, one that was isolated, one that was not. And the one that was isolated was there for a condition of 30 days. So they noticed that there was brain shrinkage up to 20%. And more specifically, the research recovered or uncovered um, that there was reductions in protein that were important for neural growth, as well as there were different levels, higher levels of stress, cortisol, And then there was broken DNA in their neurons. Mm -hmm. So the implications of that research on us in terms of what loneliness can do to our brains, I think is pretty significant. 
Yeah, so that was the research done by uh, Smeen and his and colleagues. Now, further, there are also research done by Kachopo, the one that I mentioned before. Mm-hmm. And it's not just isolation itself, but even perceived social isolation in both mice and humans. They've, no, they've noticed that it increases the HPA activity, the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal, adrenal access, reduces biosynthesis of a neuroactive metabolite that helps with being basically it's neuroprotective. Um, it's kind of like a natural antidepressant or natural anxiolytic. Um, and so, of course, if that if it reduces that um, specific factor, then you're more prone to depression, anxiety, and Alzheimer's disease and other types of disorders as well. Now, Chriselle, let's talk a little bit about kind of the social impact. Um, we're, I was just mentioning Kachopo, he did research that also shows that loneliness is contagious. What does that mean? Or what is, why is that important to highlight? Well, because if I stop hanging out with you, then that can also impact the way that you go on and interact negatively with someone else. And it can just kind of continue on in a cycle. Mm-hmm. And I think it's not just maybe, let's say if you weren't to hang out with me, but sometimes what he highlights is we can also, when we're lonely, we might have social interactions, but we might be more negative in those interactions because we have a different state of mind. And so if I'm lonely internally and I go and I spend time with you, Chriselle, then I just had a negative interaction, which then increases your sense of loneliness with people. And then you're less likely to want to continue to engage in social interactions. And so it's kind of, it's not just this stereotypical, oh, I stopped hanging out with people. So there's one less person to hang out with, but it's also, you might have negative interactions, which then lead to another person, again, that contagion of loneliness. So are you saying that we, if we are not managing our loneliness and our states of mind of loneliness, that we can be playing a role in the loneliness of another. Yes. Yeah. Wow, that's a lot of responsibility. <laughs> yes. Now, Chris, we, we briefly already touched on this and for the sake of time, we're not going to go into it too much, but what are the factors that can contribute to loneliness? We mentioned um, social media um, and maybe we can think about kind of pre-COVID and during COVID, but what are some other kind of pre-COVID contributors of loneliness? I think just overall of life, we've addressed these cognitive distortions. If you're tending to do a lot of mind reading, predicting what a person is going to say, and you're predicting something negatively, most likely you're not going to want to be around that person because you're thinking negatively about them. Or if you are labeling others, or even labeling situations, or labeling something in general. And so then it's a negative label, if it's a negative label, and you're not wanting to go and interact with that person, or you're not giving that person an opportunity to connect with you. Um, So I would say cognitive distortion, so your thoughts can really play a huge role and barrier for you engaging in connection and thereby remaining lonely. Um, Other ones could also be your emotions, because that interacts with your thoughts as well. So if you're holding in a lot of resentment, that can also hold you back from wanting to interact with others. If you're holding in a lot of anger, hurt, fear, many different emotions that can play a role when it comes to a barrier for connection. What others would you add in, Katie? I would add in the one that is kind of obvious, lack of just support, lack of actual connections. And I say that because a lot of my clients, and this is what's really something that I haven't fully understood because I grew up in a community, a religious community. Other people come to me and as clients and especially adults where they're no longer in school, maybe their work environment doesn't foster a lot of connections, or maybe they're retired and they ask, you know, how do I make friends? And I'm like, Oh, you know, my immediate thought is church. You know, I, you know, I go on Sabbath and I connect with people, but I also have Bible studies during the week, right? That my, my source of community and connection. So I think a lot of people just don't know where to go. Um, you know, maybe later on. And I think sometimes with older adults, they've tried to tackle the issue of loneliness. So they have senior centers and other programs, but that middle 
group where no longer in college or school, or maybe have retired, but not yet at a, at a senior center, or it, it's really hard for them to, to find um, connections. So I think that's just a, a contributing factor as well. And then um, it could be also poor physical health. So maybe you have physical limitations, maybe you have chronic pain or other conditions that make you want to isolate, or maybe uh, you have a condition, maybe like we'll talk about with COVID, maybe you have the virus and you need to isolate, but then also a lack of balance in one's daily activities. I see this one very, very common. Your work, 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 right? You're doing so much or you're working out or doing all these other activities um, that takes away from the time investing in relationships. So a lot of different factors and we won't go into all of them. Um, and then we also mentioned um, some uh, during COVID, right? Physical distancing mandates, fear of contraction, of you're afraid of the virus, of getting the virus. Um, we mentioned the lack of tolerance for difference, differences in opinions. Um, but overall, we see just a trend of having less and less connections and less meaningful connections. Which makes you wonder, right? When we see the astounding evidence of the impact of loneliness on our overall health. It begs the question, what really is the virus here in terms of the mental health approach to all of this, right, that we need to be combating? Yeah. So let's talk about that. How do we cope with loneliness? What can we do? Um, and this isn't going to be completely comprehensive because there's a lot that we can do. But I want to take approach from kind of going full circle here of if it's a state of mind, what are some things that we can do to address that state of mind? So maybe let's let's do this. Um, I, I really appreciate an interview that they had with Dr. Kachopo. Um, and we can just go through some of the questions they asked. One of the questions was basically, how many friends do I need? Let's start with a very basic. Okay, I know that I need more connection. I need to address the sense of loneliness. How many friends do I need, Crystal? Well, if I don't want to feel lonely, a lot of friends. Nope. <laughs> That's not the case. Uh, it's actually, he mentions about the significance of having at least one friend um, and the quality of that friendship is so significant because there are often times that we may have many friends, but we still have that state of mind that we're lonely. Mm -hmm. And that's a very biblical concept, right? In Proverbs, it says that, you know, to have unstable relationships, it's, it's to one's ruin, but there's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. So if you have one quality friendship, that's good. But one other thing that I really, really appreciate of him highlighting, because we think we either go through the extreme of I need a lot of friends, or I just need a few, but he says it really depends on the context. So he gives the example of if you're in a war, if you're in a war, to have only one friend is not enough. So it really depends on your context. And, and I want our viewers to, to really take that in because if you're maybe going through a situation, you're like, wow, you know, I have one friend and they're a really good friend. And that may be enough, depending on the type of situation you're in. Or maybe you say it's not enough. Um, now, often most things we go through in life, it really takes a village. Um, and so just thinking about the context and, and re remember that also there are different types of friendships. So you might have your friends that you go hike with, but those friends may not be the same that you may share your deepest, darkest secrets with, right? So finding different friends for different things and having a variety of connections. I think this next point is also a question they asked him. Is it possible for that confidant a person you connect with to be a therapist or professional person and right. he responds by saying <laughs> well we, you know, it's not true katie <laughs> he responds by saying it's very important for you not just to to receive from others but to also to give and when you have that therapeutic relationship you're receiving but you're not having that reciprocal bond so it's about that bond that really aids and is powerful when it comes to loneliness Yes. So a therapist is not a true friend because it's not reciprocal. Now, also, I think someone can apply that to other relationships. So maybe you're a giver. We've talked about um, this in regards to boundaries, right? Givers need to set boundaries because takers never do. And if you find yourself feeling lonely in a lot of your relationships, it might be because it's not reciprocal. Maybe you're giving, 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 but not receiving. With therapy, it's the opposite. You're receiving, but not giving. So find relationships. And maybe you're the taker, I should say, too. 
and you could still feel lonely. So find relationships that are mutual. Mm -hmm. So then the next point we want to make, you know, that there are four major types of um, treatment or uh, ways to address this loneliness. And this, again, stemming from um, Dr. Kachopo's research. Um, Crystal, do you want to highlight the first one, social engagement? So social engagement with the notion that if you're lonely, okay, just put all these people together who are lonely and they just won't be lonely anymore. That doesn't necessarily work because it confuses the idea of loneliness with the fact of actually feeling alone and being alone. Okay. So um, just to kind of clarify, these are four different approaches people take, but they're not always effective. So the first one was social engagement, but that's not super effective. The second one is like, okay, maybe we should teach them social skills. Christelle, is this effective? No, this is also false. And this is just because everybody has good social skills to begin with. But when you experience loneliness, you then focus more and more on yourself. Your brain engages in self-preservation. So you're not necessarily aware of that happening, but you become like the animal on the edge of the herd. If you feel vulnerable, you often stop taking empathic or compassionate positions, and therefore you lose social skills. And I, I really like that because sometimes we overemphasize social skills. Oh, you're lonely or you're isolated because you're not social. I've had many, many clients who come in and they have social anxiety and they're talking with me and I'm so surprised because they can actually engage socially in a way that um, is appropriate, in a way that's engaging, but they have a perception. So social skills, teaching people social skills is not enough. And I like that you mentioned, Chriselle, that you know most uh, people are born with um, inherent social skills. They're, they're able to, there are often barriers to that, um, but it's not enough. So social engagement is not enough. Social skills is not enough. The third one is social support. Is this enough, Chriselle? No. <laughs> and this is the notion that you will be cured just by being around supportive people, which is not true. And why is that not true, Katie? I mean, it's not, it, that is not the answer either because getting out of loneliness takes reciprocal connections, as we mentioned before, not one directional. So you might say, oh, okay, you're surrounded by supportive people, but that's only you receiving. If it were just about support, people would not feel lonely in the hospital because they're surrounded by support. We know that people in the hospital also often feel very lonely. So the last one is the treatment that they looked at is changing how lonely people think about other people. So again, full circle back to the state of mind. Now, Crystal, what is this alluding to? This is alluding to the fact that you teach them to understand what happens when their brain actually goes into self-preservation mode. And this is changing the way you perceive your environment, changing the way you perceive things. Because if, if we're saying loneliness is a state of mind, then you need to work on your mind to change your state of loneliness. Yes. And a lot of that are the things we've mentioned, like you mentioned yourself, cognitive distortions. But to add to that, um, some very practical steps. One thing that you can do is just to brace feeling lonely. Recognize it's just a feeling, right? When we talked about the episode on the first episode on emotions is what is this feeling communicating and motivating me to do. It's communicating, right? That I, I need that connection. It's motivating me to seek that connection. Um, then check your thoughts. That's the second pr very practical step. Um, Crystal, what are ways that they could check their thoughts? Some that we already talked about in an episode, but just to highlight. Well, check your thoughts by journaling. Sometimes we get so consumed with our thoughts when they're just staying in our head. We put the, put them down on paper. You're able to reflect on them and to to an extent evaluate and analyze them to see if there's any distortion in the way that you're approaching the situation. Yeah. Now the third one is to don't feed the negativity. So, um, what are some examples of which people could probably be feeding into their loneliness? Um, sometimes we may say, oh, I'm so lonely. No one likes me. So I'm just going to stay home. I'm not going to do anything. And so they, they choose to isolate. Mm -hmm. I know that we may feel like that that's not the case, but it is a choice to remove yourself from social gatherings, to remove yourself when you have been invited, when you have been given opportunities to connect and you're choosing not to do that. 
Yeah. So that reminds me of like, when we were talking about this holiday season, we can think about how maybe people are inviting you to dinners and to Christmas parties and you're saying, no, you're feeding into the negativity and, and maybe staying at home and watching Hallmark movies or others. And oh, I wish I had a family like that, or I wish I had, right. You're feeding into the negativity of loneliness um, versus step number four is instead cultivate gratitude. It's kind of like we're doing a full circle of a lot of our different episodes here, all to address loneliness. How, what's, why is it important to cultivate gratitude, Chriselle, um, in order to combat loneliness? Because it, it changes your state of mind. It makes you begin then to shift your focus on what is positive around you and versus what is negative. So constructive versus deconstructive. Yeah. And like you mentioned before, Chriselle, if a lot of it stems, uh, loneliness stems from self-preservation, by being grateful, remember we talked about the um, acknowledging and recognizing, right? We have to acknowledge and recognize the source of that gratitude and whether that's God or other people. And so it really gets us outside of ourselves versus self-preservation. Yeah. And then exactly. hope ahead. Maybe someone's thinking, oh, I'm going to go to that family dinner. I'm going to go to that Christmas celebration. Uh, maybe they can cope ahead um, thinking of, okay, maybe you know, maybe I've lost a loved one and I'm feeling really lonely because I no longer have my spouse. What are things that I can do during this season, right? Coping ahead that can help with that sense of loneliness. Mm-hmm. Any other examples of how people can cope ahead or, or how coping ahead can help them with loneliness? Creating new traditions in your family. Um, beginning to seek out new hobbies, to find other outlets and ways that you can connect and learn more about yourself as well. Um, yeah, I mean, find, find things you enjoy to do. Because there are, there are countless things that you can, can put yourself in and learn more and connect with other individuals. Mm. I like that because it's, we don't have to just stay in the loneliness. We can put in the effort, be intentional about whether it's, you know, creating new memories, creating new traditions, or doing something for ourselves. Mm-hmm. Now, kind of related to that is often people don't do these things because they engage in emotional reasoning. And if you remember our episode on cognitive distortions, emotional reasoning is when we use our emotions to reason, right, to make decisions. If I don't feel like going out, I'm not going out. Why is this um, important to talk about, Chriselle, in relation to loneliness? Oh, I think you you cut out. <laughs> um, so we're talking about emotional reasoning. And um, an example of this would be maybe we don't say yes to invitations because we don't feel like going out. And then the last one, Chriselle mentioned before, dealing with the barriers that might be anger, resentment, which we'll probably cover in the next episode, which we may do on forgiveness. So stay tuned on that as well. But the main way to cope with loneliness, Griselle, is related going back to our, our, our title for this episode, Known When Alone. And what is that? What are we talking about here, Griselle? Known When Alone. We're talking about the fact that Yes, realistically, part of life is that we may be disappointed. We may be given reasons to not want to interact with others, right? But there is one thing in this life that is consistent, and the love received from this is unconditional, does not change, and that is God. God knows us from our inner parts. He knew us before we were even planted in our mother's womb, as the Bible says, and so Oftentimes, I have been guilty of this, I could say for sure, where I've been seeking, you know, connection outside of God. And then time and time again, I've been disappointed. I've been discouraged. And then I'm left to feel lonely. But God, He knows you. Mm -hmm. And even when you feel alone, He's there. He's always constantly there. And so we just want to give you some biblical passages, biblical verses that proves to you 
because this is not just what we're saying. This is what the Bible says of who God is and how he can be there in times when you feel alone. So can you start us off with a couple of verses? Yeah, so a couple of verses that I want to highlight um, go, go along with you, what you're mentioning, Chriselle. Um, Psalms 2710 says, though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Mm-hmm. And very similar to that, Isaiah 49, 14 to 16 says, but Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. Um, but it responds by saying, can a mother forget the baby at her breast? Or can a mother forget her suckling child um, and have no compassion on the child that she bore? Though she may forget, though a mother may forget her own child, I will not forget you, says the Lord. And he goes on to say, see, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Jesus died on the cross for you. Your walls are ever before me. And I love those two verses because, again, what we're talking about is, yes, we're trying to increase connection, connection with others. We talk about that horizontal connection with one another. And the Bible talks a lot about do not neglect the first, you know, the the assembling of the brethren, meaning, you know, with one another. There is that importance of community, but human beings are not enough. You will still feel lonely. And sometimes some of you viewers might be saying, you know, maybe I've been rejected by a close family member. Maybe I've been rejected by the people I thought would never, my mother, my father, whomever it may be, but God will never. And that's so encouraging. Amen. And I think, Katie, reflecting back on the definition of loneliness, it's a state of mind. And so if you're wanting to remain in a state of mind of acknowledging that you are not alone, the only way to remain in that constant, because only God does not change, constant state of mind is to be able to reflect upon these promises, upon these truth, these truth prescriptions that the Bible gives us, because the reality is that we will be disappointed. There will be disappointments in this world, but God will not disappoint us. He will not forget us. So for wanting to change and focus on that state of mind to remain consistent, God is the only one who can do that for us. Yes. And I, I love you read the entire Bible and it's so consistently uh, enforced. And I'll just name a couple, but it's the same exact message over and over again. Deuteronomy 31 six says, do not be afraid or terrified for the Lord, your God goes with you. Here's the part that repeats itself often in the Bible. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Then verse eight of that same chapter, it is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not be, do not fear or be dismayed. Matthew 28, 20 says, this is when Jesus was um, departing. And he says, surely I am with you always even to the very end of the age. Then John 14 says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And, you know, even when Jesus was leaving, he's like, I'm sending you a helper, the Holy Spirit, the comforter. And just again and again, Joshua 1 says, I will not leave you or forsake you. Hebrews 13 says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And you can see that the language is the same because God is intentional about reinforcing this idea over and over again. You think that I'm going to be like other people. You think you've, you've experienced rejection. You've experienced people, even you have the closest of your friends, but I will not leave you or forsake you. Beautiful. Sorry. I just had to sit there with those promises because they're true. Mm -hmm. They're true. And so it's very comforting to know that anytime that you may feel lonely, reflect back on these verses, because just because you feel lonely doesn't mean you are. Mm-hmm. Now, Crystal, there's a main passage that we wanted to, to read um, for our viewers, and that's in Psalms 139. And you, you, you chose this passage. So I, I, if you feel comfortable to kind of lead out and, and share with kind of us why this is so important in regards to, to loneliness, Psalms 139. And we won't read the entire chapter, but highlighting some key verses, I think, especially to verse 18. Yes. So I just want to kind of take us back to the visual imagery of the title of our episode today. We saw that man who was in his own head, (laughs) but literally in this pit 
right? Where you can feel as though it's so narrow, I can't get up. What's the point? I'm all alone. No one's around me. No one understands me. But here comes someone who is willing to go down and to search us, to find us. So just the first verse here from Psalms 139 says, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. I think it's not just a matter of us seeking God, but God seeks us as well. God also doesn't want us to be alone. He's not waiting for us to go to him and say, oh, okay, here, I need you. God wants to be there for us. And he actively seeks us. The question is, are we open to recognizing how he seeks us? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when I sit and when I rise, you know me all day long. <laughs> um, you perceive my thoughts from afar. God knows and understands when we're struggling with our cognitive distortions. He's able to perceive that. He understands that. How else could you, what other verses here that you would I mean, highlight you- in regards to our topic? It just keeps on going. You, you know, my path, my lying down, you're, you know, all my ways. So it's basically saying you, when, when you're feeling lonely, no matter where you are, no matter what you're experiencing, he knows verse four, for there's not a word on my tongue. Oh Lord, you know, it all together, like every word, every thought. Um, and then verse five says, you had a hedge behind me, a hedge before me, you laid your hand upon me such knowledge. And I love this. It's like knowing this, knowing that he searches me and he knows me right. Known when alone, he says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where can I go from you? I love this. Where can I be from your presence? He's like, there's nowhere I can go. It says the heaven above in the grave below. There's nowhere I can flee from you. You're always with me. So technically Katie, no matter where you go, you are never alone because God is always with you. There's nowhere you can flee that God will not look and find you and be there for you. Mm -hmm. And it says in those places, verse 10, even there, your hand will lead me. Your right hand will hold me. He'll be there for you. And even the times verse 11 says, when the darkness surrounds me, you're going to be with me for you formed my inward part. So you created me and you sustained me. It says, I will praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. That's a common verse that we quote, but we don't realize the context. And then I'll just jump down to verse 17. How precious also are your thoughts, thoughts to me. So not not only does God know our thoughts, but also his thoughts to us are precious. They're good thoughts. How great is the sum of them? If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. God's thoughts of goodness towards you are more than the sand. When I awake, I'm still with you. So beautiful. Now, the last thing that we want to highlight is the reason why God is always with you is because we've emphasized this in so many of our different episodes is that Jesus is our empathic truth prescriber. He is, he has experienced every single thing that we've experienced and including loneliness. So just to highlight a couple examples of that, Chriselle, what would be an an example that you think of, of Jesus experiencing loneliness? Well, when he was in the garden of Gethsemane, in that moment that he was praying. I, he wasn't lonely in the aspect of not being with God. But when he came back and his disciples were there and they fell asleep, it was like, this is the time I need you to be praying most for me. And you're not doing that. Yeah. His best yeah. friends. Mm-hmm. And not only were they not praying and supporting him at that time, but later on when they come to rest them, they flee. They flee and then even um, Peter and other reject him. So his closest best friends even know that Jesus um, in the beginning of his ministry was not accepted by his family. And so Jesus experienced loneliness in his family, loneliness with his friends, and even at one point feeling as if God had forsaken him. We know that God didn't, but he experienced true loneliness. And we also see that in Isaiah 53, um, not just, again, uh, his friends or those close, but even human beings. It says he was despised. This is verse three and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. 
So when I think about like that high schooler that feels really rejected at school, that he's walking to school and people are making fun of him or kind of like, oh, I don't know him. That's the experience that Jesus had. People despised him, rejected him. Jesus was lonely at times. But one thing that he says consistently also throughout the Bible, throughout his experience, especially in the Gospels, is that he said, my father and I are one. He was always connecting with the father, always praying and connecting with God the father. And that's how we know that Jesus, um, he not only has connected with the father, but he is our connection. That when we feel lonely, he can truly empathize. He doesn't just say, oh, you know, I'm going to help you through the loneliness. He goes, no, I know what that feels like, right? I know what that's like. And so he goes into the pit with us. That's so beautiful to know know that somebody is going to come into the pit and suffer that loneliness with us. You know, Kitty, I've heard someone say prayer is a ladder to heaven. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it'd be beautiful if we close out in with the biblical verse as a prayer and just having that visual imagery. If there's anyone who's viewing this episode at this point and you can identify with that individual there in that pit, prayer is a wonderful way of putting a ladder and being able to come out of that pit not in your own strength, not in your own resources, but being able to hold on to God and his promises and knowing that he's always there for you. So if you turn it to your Bibles, to Psalms chapter 25, verse 16 to 21, Katie, can you read that as a prayer as we close out? Yes. And and just a comment. What's so beautiful about this image here. It's not a ladder. It's Jesus is coming down to you. Right? Because often we think as human beings that we need to, in our own works, in our own efforts, get ourselves out of a pit. But Jesus is coming down. He came to earth to experience that loneliness with us. And therefore, our prayer allows him, it's that rope that we see, allows him to have permission to come into our life. You said Psalms 25, verse 16 to 21. Okay. It says, turn yourself to me and have mercy on me, for I am desolate and afflicted. The troubles of my heart have been enlarged. Oh, bring me out of my distresses. Look on my affliction and my pain and forgive all my sins. Consider my enemies, for they are many. Some hate me and are cruel to me. Oh, keep my soul and deliver me. Let me not be ashamed, for I put my trust in you. And you said verse 21 as well? Yes. Let integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. I wait for you. And just remember to draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Yes. Let's pray and close. Dearly Father God, we want to thank you so much for these truths that you provide for us in your word, that you will never leave us nor forsake us, that if we draw near to you, you will draw near to us. You are always there. And no matter what happens in our earthly friendships or connections, we can always depend on you. You're the same yesterday, today, and always. God, I just want to especially thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who intentionally came down to earth to suffer as we have suffered, God, to enter into that pit with us um, and to be able to feel our loneliness, to experience that and to give us comfort in time of need. So God, I pray that if there's anyone watching this, God, that's feeling lonely, even in this very moment, I pray that you as the comforter may draw near to them, that they can find that solace, that, that connection with you, God. I pray also for their communities because you also care that they are connected horizontally. And so I, God, I pray that you may connect them with people that can show them your love and support as well, God. I pray that this episode may be an encouragement for all of us to no longer isolate or um, feed our loneliness, but to go out and connect with others. Because as your word says, it's not good for man to be alone. Help us, God, um, connect and and to encourage one another, God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.
All right. Well, we will see you all in two weeks. And Kay, do we have a truth prescription for this week? We do. Let's see here. You can't pull it up on the screen, but we just want to encourage you to, um, to, as you know, partly in the prayer to not isolate, right. Mm -hmm. To instead take one step to engage in some sort of connection. I know with the pandemic, we might be limited in some ways. And so of course you want to do it in a, a safe way, whether that's a phone call, whether that's a FaceTime call, whether that's, um, you know, having writing a letter, writing a letter, um, <laughs> but being intentional about connecting and, and really reflecting on um, how you can improve your connections as well. Now, one last thing is because of it being a state of mind is again, go back to the episode and how can I change my thoughts towards other people to improve my sense of connection and to reduce that loneliness. And then of course, reading our Bible to find those promises and holding on to those promises that God will neither leave you nor forsake you. Yes. And that makes me say, don't forget your daily dosage of the truth. Why Katie? Because if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.